0: This is Overtime, Dribble's official podcast. I'm Dan Cederholm, your host, and today is episode 21. Today we're talking with Lydia Nichols, and uh, Lydia, I've been a big fan of, of her illustration for a long time. Uh, she's got a very unique, distinct style. Uh, she likes to anthropomorphize, I think I've said that right, this time uh, for once, and um, anthropomorphize animals, and uh, I just love her her uh, sort of very playful, interesting uh, illustration style. We talk about a lot of different things. She's currently working with Google uh, on Google Doodles, um, and we talk about floating ears and uh, her illustration. and It's just a great uh, it's a great conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Like I say, every episode, please rate or And or review us on iTunes if you dig this. Uh, And we hope you do. Uh, We'd really appreciate that. So, we do have an announcement uh, today, and that is about a new event that we're putting on here at Dribbble. You know, if you're on Dribbble, you may have attended a Dribbble meetup or two, or uh, a dozen, hopefully. Um, And we're always amazed at the incredible events our community plans and our team. Uh, was inspired to introduce something new we're calling hang time we're having our first big event in boston on october 4th and we really hope you can join us there Um, we have presentations from john contino kelly anderson debbie millman and others and it's sure going to be a fun time Um, actually we'll we'll also be doing a, um, a live overtime taping uh taping or recording i guess uh, from the after party of that event. So you're gonna, you're definitely going to want to be there for that. Um, get all the details, see our speaker lineup, and purchase tickets at dribble.com slash hangtime. And a big thank you to everyone supporting Hangtime, including our friends over at Affinity and Envision. Uh, we literally couldn't have done this without their generous support. So uh, we hope you use and support Affinity and Envision as well. So this week's episode is, again, brought to you by our friends at FreshBooks. Right, so I know a lot of you out there are, are uh, freelancers. In fact, one in three Americans are self-employed, which is crazy. And then by, in another couple years, uh, that group could grow to over 40% of the United States workforce. So this is where FreshBooks uh, comes in, and it's, it can be really handy for freelancers. Um, and they're also excited to announce the launch of an all-new version of their cloud accounting software. And it's been redesigned from the ground up and packed full of powerful features, including uh, the FreshBooks dashboard that has been curated to answer the one burning question for any small business owner. How is my business doing? The new notification center is like your personal assistant, telling you what's changed in your business since you last logged in and what should be dealt with. And best of all, you can use FreshBooks to create and send invoices in about thirty seconds—literally. There's no formatting and no formulas; just really simple, clean, and professional-looking invoices. I got a demo of this new uh, interface uh, recently, and, and uh, quite honestly, uh, was really impressed by it. So, uh, FreshBooks is offering a thirty-day unrestricted free trial to our listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com/overtime and enter "overtime" in the "How did you hear about us?" section. Again, that's FreshBooks.com slash Overtime and find the How Did You Hear About Us section. Thanks so much to FreshBooks for the ongoing support here at Overtime. All right, and now it's time to get on with our chat with Lydia Nichols. Welcome to Overtime, Lydia Nichols.
1: Hi. Hi. Hello. Again, thanks for having me. <laughs>
0: yeah, thanks for being on here for sure. You know, I uh, I think I say this for before every interview, uh, but I'm I, I mean it, and I'm am I'm a huge fan, and I have been for a while of your work, and uh, I think it hits a lot of things for me, <laughs> like uh, animals, and I don't know, happy people, and <laughs> and happy things and color and texture and <laughs> uh, I could go on and on. There's just so many aspects of your, your art that, uh, that are really, really cool. So. Well, um,
1: thanks. It's always very flattering and uh, kind of weird to hear people say nice things. Cause I, I often just <laughs> feel like I'm in this weird imaginary world with all these Uh, anthropomorphic animals and that as long as i'm delighted everything's okay um but you know (laughs) i would be existing in some kind of weird state of delusion so i'm glad that i'm grounded in reality and other people like it enough that i can be an illustrator uh yeah as a real viable career that's always really exciting
0: right yeah you're you're living the dream um yes (laughs) how did how did you get into so i'm gonna botch this word and because i've seen it in your bio and stuff (laughs) Anthropomorphizing—that's <laughs> uh,
1: anthropomorphizing. no, like that's like, <laughs>
0: that's like uh, yeah, like like tr- tr- turning uh, inanimate objects into people, kind of thing, or or
1: uh... yeah, I mean, kind of imbuing animals and objects yeah. with human characteristics. Um, gotcha. Okay, that's a good question. I think I've <laughs> always done it. I my grandparents recently moved and I was looking through all this old art, um, probably from when I was, you know, five or six or whatever. And there's this one piece that I really love that I did called Bugs on Vacation. And it's (laughs) just gotta be like, I don't know, 20 bugs and they're all by family. So you have the grasshopper family and the ladybug family and the spider family or whatever it is. And there's, you know, a set of parents and then some kids and they all just have luggage and they're all kind of just marching in these rows. It's really bizarre, but um, <laughs> it's that. also kind of interesting. And I labeled it Bugs on Vacation, which is, you know, that seems like very early signs of anthropomorphizing. So, uh,
0: Right. Oh, so this was a really early thing that you did, like when you were younger.
1: Oh yeah, probably. I mean I, I had couldn't have been more than, you know, five or six years old. Oh wow. Okay. And wow. so when I go back through, my grandmother has this folder of stuff. It's really funny. It says Lydia's artwork, property of her grandmother. Um <laughs> so nobody steal it. It's wow. it's owned by her. But okay,
0: she she owns the she gets the royalties from it if you
1: Apparently, I don't remember signing any contracts. I've learned a lot since since my single digit years, but um, yeah, there's all sorts of there's like elephants playing basketball, and wow. um, there's I had this whole series of superhero animals, and it's really kind of stupid because it they're all wearing these shirts that say like S Owl, which I think I believe stands for Super Owl, or like s cat um because i couldn't fit the word super on there um so i guess the whole anthropomorphizing is a thing i've done since i had consciousness um i'm not really sure where it came from
0: i love that it started so early that's incredible um
1: very early were
0: were you were you influenced by other um artists back then you know i'm thinking like uh i was a big richard scary fan when i was a kid and Mm. Um, that's sort of that's sort of anthrop i can't say the word
1: <laughs> anthropomorphizing yeah, <laughs>
0: Anthropomorphizing. thank you
1: my grandma oh, she'll come up a lot she's awesome she read to me a lot as a kid so um every night was sort of story time and we'd sit on the couch and she would read books so everything from uh, petunia to the little engine that could you know I was a little older, the stinky cheese man and, um, yeah, <laughs> Richard's Gary, Tommy DePaula, all the, basically anything that the library had and she was a very animated reader. And so, um, I've always loved reading, which is probably, you know, part of it, not just the art part, but the, um, the sense of adventure and whimsy and yeah, yeah. I mean, the little engine that could is an anthropomorphic train, <laughs> that whole you're thing right. Is. You're right. Um, yeah. so I right. really love that book. So maybe that that was sort of an early sign. I guess, mm. you know, reading a lot of kids' books where anything can be anything, you know, have a Yeah, you're out. right. That's interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're right, right. And that's like a that's a theme throughout a lot of children's stuff. Yeah, Richard's I, scary.
1: I, I mean, it's a world of talking animals.
0: Yeah, it is. And it's like, yeah, and then like what they do for work. and yeah. like, <laughs> the, like busy world. Like the busy world. The busy right. It's like, I, I never really questioned it <laughs> when I was a kid, you know. Uh,
1: it seems so normal and, and natural, and I think that yeah, maybe I just yeah. never questioned it, even in adulthood. Yeah. I was like, this is just normal.
0: Right. Oh, it totally is. Do you remember Uh, one of my favorites when I was a kid was um, Mike Mulligan and the steam shovel. Uh, I can't remember what it was called. I don't know if it was called Mike Mulligan. It was sort of like the little engine, a the, the little engine that could. But it was about a a giant steam shovel that, um, you know that <laughs> it was sort of was was a person kind of thing. Um, yeah. But but anyway, so I, I, that does seem like at the end. It was a really old book too, like written in the '30s or something. Um, even Good Night Moon, right? That's like. Uh, that's sort of like the bunnies that that live in the house and have regular human things. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is this book uh, Petunia that I really loved, which was about this anthropomorphic goose and kind of her adventures. And then um, Mm. I think there was one, I I think it was called Susie squirrel or Miss Susie. And it, that one was full of anthropomorphic things. It was about, uh, something like these little toy soldiers that were actually alive and, um, and, uh, a squirrel that maybe these bad squirrels came and kicked her out of her house or something. And these little toy soldiers helped her get her home back. Something that was broadly (laughs) what it was about, which is then mixing like objects and animals and there are no humans and everything's alive. And yeah, um, yeah, and then you it, know, I grew up with Toy Story, which was such a great movie. Yes, like, um, and I that's... was just
0: gonna say that. Toy
1: Story. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Anthro. I'm gonna say Anthro for short.
1: <laughs> Good idea. It's it's a it's a mouthful.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna start a new, yeah, you know, trend. Oh, that's so Anthro, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but you're right, Toy Story, and and I love Toy Story. Uh, a lot of my my kids like loved it when they were super young, and I kind of like rediscovered it then and um and that's and and all those yeah everything is alive right um which is which is great which is a a thing so that that seems to be a theme that you well gee you started when you were five and then (laughs) it still carries up till to now which is kind of amazing i mean that's one of the things about your work i mean looking through is i'm just i'm kind of amazed by the the consistency that you've had um Over over a long time, you know, over years. Um, How how did you how did you get into illustration? Because you you mentioned earlier, like making a living doing illustration, which which is great, which is awesome, and an achievement of itself. Um, How (laughs) how did you how did you get there, though?
1: Mm, It's been a long and not so pretty path, to be honest. Um,
0: (laughs) Usually is. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I I mean in high school I was really into music and art and it just came to a point where I had to choose which one I was going to do um, I played trombone which uh, right. if you think okay. there's not a lot of viable careers in art try playing trombone so I think I had a dose of reality <laughs> where I was like well I'm not sure I'm going to be a professional trombonist for the rest of my life um, wow so there's I, not I, a
0: lot of trombonists out there though I was going to say like the, the competition must be low so
1: maybe, maybe <laughs> I'm wrong I think you have uh, other hurdles to get past, okay, yeah, but um, that's,
0: true. that's great though. I mean, I love it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, uh, and I come from a family of math and science people. So I was already kind of the, the odd um, But I, I mean, despite that everyone was pretty supportive. I went to college and studied illustration thinking. I just don't want to paint. Cause I didn't really like painting. It wasn't very intuitive for me. Um, mm-hmm. i I use, you know, uh, color pencils or pencil or pastel or whatever. But, um, cause you know, this is roughly pre-digital. <laughs> I'm so old. Um, <laughs> I graduated high school in 2003 for context. So I was in college 2003 to seven and, um, I ended up going to Syracuse, which has a pretty traditional, Program and I don't just mean because it was the early two thousands and digital wasn't really a thing. I mean, um, traditional in the in the reali- realism sense of the word. Um, mm, okay, right. So right. I did a lot of painting of shoes and people and still lifes, and it was, to be totally honest, a little miserable. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, what have I done? Uh, there were some really bright spots. I had wonderful professors and interesting classes like narrative illustration which was more comics and scott mcleod came and it was really cool to hear him talk and um by the end of my time there my senior year there were magazines like three by three coming out and so the sort of world of alternative non-real realistic illustration was opening up and um i graduated with kind of a haphazard portfolio That I'm super embarrassed of. But uh, I just was really, really stubborn and decided I was still, I was just gonna illustrate. That's what I was gonna do. And I was lucky enough to get jobs in design. I don't really know how, because I wasn't a trained designer, but I guess people thought I had an eye for it. So I ended up doing a lot of weird design jobs as day jobs and then just illustrating, illustrating, illustrating in my free time and um this is back when you could actually get gigs on craigslist <laughs> so i would get oh, all these gosh. like weird local magazines and newspapers that needed illustration um oh yeah cool and so i'd submit to those and be like i think you might like my portfolio <laughs> um and i slowly started playing with photoshop and then with illustrator and i've always really really loved printmaking and when i learned that you could use Photoshop like printmaking with layers and everything, stuff started to click. But it took about, I would say, two to four years after college until I even started to find a voice that felt authentic and comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, And then four years later, I went to grad school so that I had time just to focus on building that up. And by the time I was done grad school, I had a portfolio that I felt. Uh, really, I could stand behind. Not that there wasn't room to grow, but I felt like, oh, I can actually get gigs now. Like, I can do this. Um, mm-hmm. And um, it's been uphill from there. I've been really lucky. But I've been pretty relentless in my pursuit as well. So,
0: Wow. That's, that's awesome. That's
1: the story. It's not yeah. too glamorous. <laughs>
0: no, no, it's great. It's great because, uh, and actually, um, what's interesting, correct me if I'm wrong, but when so when you're in school and just out of school, you're not dealing with digital. Um, so you're using pencil and I guess that's, that's the medium that you were using back then. But.
1: My very first published piece was in the stranger, uh, which is a little uh, newspaper magazine in uh, S- Seattle, I believe. Um, and then I did in acrylic paint, pretty flat, super flat but still it was an acrylic. And then my subsequent pieces, I did a mixture of scanned pencil and charcoal pencil, and then the coloring in Photoshop. So it was quite an evolution. And then eventually I started working in illustrator, and I learned how to make brushes, um, Uh, which was pretty revolutionary. And that was really good because I'm really color and compositionally inept which are both really important things when you're an illustrator so um it's amazing i would disagree
0: disagree on the color for sure and and,
1: and composition
0: (laughs) i mean the color is something that i I just when i see your stuff it's like oh yeah it's like the colors are incredible and they're they all kind of work together too like they're not that you're using the same colors all the time, but they just, I don't know, they all they all sort of fit together. So,
1: It's been a long journey, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Illustrator was really helpful in that because it was so easy to change color and it was so easy right. to scale things. And so for a while I was like, I can only ever work in Illustrator. And so I'd, I'd make dozens and dozens and dozens of brushes, which is actually what that scare, Skillshare class is about. Making uh, all these brushes yes. and then I'd like put a different brush on every single object to try to emulate it being hand done, which is just the most tedious, time consuming thing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and then, you know, you have to because there are limitations to illustrator brushes, I'd have to make them of varying length so that they could stroke without getting too wonky. So I just had these this insane library, and things were taking forever. And then after all of that, I would drop it into Photoshop and throw on some brayer texture or whatever. Um, so I was creating work that people liked and wanted to hire me for, but it was taking forever. Um, yeah. And after grad school, I did uh, an art internship at Pixar. Um, and Wow. Uh, That was really cool, and um, I just got to watch artists and how they work, and a lot of them work in Photoshop, which is much more intuitive in terms of actually drawing and using Mm -hmm. your hand. And so from there, I just started experimenting with Photoshop brushes, and of course, like 99% of the digital illustration population, I use Kyle brushes because they're magnificent and well-designed. And so now...
0: Kyle brushes.
1: Yeah. Um, and now that's kind of the process. I still do a lot of my shape work in Illustrator, um, and then but I do most of the line work and texturing in Photoshop. So it's always been a balance between both those worlds, but it's it's sort of just which one am I using more? And each program yeah. has its you know, different advantages. Um but and that's the other reason I work in a limited palette cuz my brain shuts down after about six colors. It's like, "Nope. Sorry. <laughs> that you hit capacity, that is all I you can process."
0: Totally agree with that one. That's me too. I I can't even do six. I think it's, you know, two or three. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it, you know. Um so so in Photoshop, and I like I I love getting into the details here, so hopefully that's okay. But um in in Photoshop, are, is your stuff uh, bitmap or is it vector so in case you need to resize it or um or you you maybe you're doing stuff per a spec that you know is going to be a certain size or
1: yeah these days most of my assignments are pretty straightforward in what the final specs are so yeah yeah i, I don't get too concerned about that i'm a little bit better at working out my compositions earlier on um now uh so i don't get as hung up about resizing and i I try to work big enough that if i need to scale things a a little bit here and there i don't have to worry too much about loss
0: right right right
1: quality Uh, so most Mm. of it ends up being bitmap Um, yeah but that's that's great it's just you can't get the same sort of freehand um, quality in illustrator that you can right in Photoshop or the same brushes or totally. or you even if yeah. you can get close to it, you end up with these crazy massive illustrator files that are just unwieldy and you click open and then you go make yourself <laughs> a pot of tea and drink it and come back yeah. and maybe it's opened.
0: And you try to select something and millions of squares show up like like <laughs> it's like the oh, whole yeah. thing is mapped to, to Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense, especially for the, the kind of texture and brush stuff that you're you're doing yeah that would be really difficult to to do an illustrator um yeah so we i'm one of the shots that you know we sort of wanted to talk about was this process shot from actually a couple of years ago but um and uh, i think this is about your your skillshare class that you had at the time mm-hmm. um and it starting it looks like starting from well it looks like pencil on paper right and mm-hmm. then bringing that into photoshop or illustrator for, for the line work and then putting the finishing touches on after that. Um.
1: Yeah. Um, I try to start everything in pencil. This, yeah, I mean, it's, this is about, Oh geez, over three years old. So my process is a little different now. Um, yeah. And I, I have a Cintiq now, which is uh, like yes. the greatest thing I've ever Purchased as far as uh, career stuff goes. Um, yeah, it's just
0: duly noted.
1: Uh, oh man, that thing is crazy. Uh, but what, do, have
0: you tried the Apple Pencil at all with with the iPad? Or?
1: I haven't. Um, I have an iPad that is like six years old, and I occasionally yeah. use it for recipes and watching Netflix. But I otherwise, am just it's great like, for oh, that. it's yeah. great for that, isn't
0: it? It's <laughs> a great Netflix. It's a great uh, extra TV, really
1: yeah but otherwise, I don't use it so much, and I yeah I realized um not to detour too much, but no oh, no, that's fine. Uh, I did this artist residency with a group in Mexico City called Pictoline. They're awesome, so I'm plugging them right now. but um, I went there, and I was using their equipment, and they were awesome. I, this is not disparaging of them at all whatsoever just forewarning. warning um <laughs> but they use these intuos tablets which i haven't used in like two and a half years and i was like oh no i'm not gonna <laughs> be able to illustrate anything this whole week and i had this mini pa- panic attack where i had wow. to excuse myself and be like i'm just going for a breath of fresh air and proceeded to hyperventilate <laughs> in the hallway because i was like i don't know how to draw on this thing um, Cause I'm so used to the great thing about the antique is that uh, you know, you're actually drawing on this and looking at, at the same place yeah, versus right, right, right. on a tablet, like an Intuos or a bamboo or whatever, where you're looking up at a screen and drawing down on a surface and there's this weird disconnect. Um, so I've, I've oh, I really I, I, value that in the toolkit, but um, I still try to start everything on paper and pencil. Cause I, I have problems with scale on the computer. If I start just there, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I only have room for one figure, which probably shows because most of my work is like a single figure on a blank space. Because again, compositions and backgrounds aren't my forte. But um, drawing on paper helps me nail scale a little bit better than on a digital surface.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because the, the digital services, you know, I mean, in a sense, it's unlimited. But, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yet, like, yeah, I can totally see what you mean uh I have sca- nothing beats a piece of paper in front of your hand and you're yeah,
1: I'm pretty sure that I don't have normal depth perception (laughs) people are always making fun of me because i'll put glasses down on the table and it looks like i'm slamming them and i'm like i don't know i just i don't know where the (laughs) tabletop is so i feel like with all of my art that's why i use a lot of forced perspective and Mm. pretty simple backgrounds is because i i just like everything in the world around me seems relatively flat (laughs) yeah um so well, this okay. is
0: this is good this is a good segue because I was gonna ask you about one of my favorite uh, characteristics of some of your character drawings from and actually the, a lot of these are older too and maybe maybe this is still a thing but the ears <laughs> <laughs> are incredible and I'm look, so I'm looking at a, a shot called, and we'll leave these in the show notes um sailors this is from a long time ago it's ancient so you I think it's great. You're probably going to say it's, (laughs) it's old, but, but, uh, so anyway, it's a good example of like how you were drawing ears and like how one of them or both of them might be floating as if they're floating in midair. They're not really Mm -hmm. connected to the, to the person. And I, I always, I always love that when you did that, uh, and it it just, it's so different yet it still works and looks like it doesn't look like the ear is floating. If you're just look, if you're taking the whole illustration in as a whole, it does not look like there's something wrong and they cut their ear off or something. It actually looks exactly as it should. So I'm, I'm curious uh, if there's a story behind that style or just, it just sort of happened. uh,
1: I honestly don't. Wow. That is going really, I pulled up my, yeah, it's see. going way back.
0: it's going way back. I, I
1: haven't it. scrolled this far down in a while and <laughs> I'd be lying if I said a part of me was not deep in, deeply cringing. I'm like,
0: oh no, God, no, no. It's burn awesome. It I, all, all, burn it all, off. all of it is uh, honestly I it, it's it's amazing. All the stuff's amazing. And it's oh, all cohesive. Boy. Anyway, um but but there's Uh-oh. there's a there are several <laughs> several pieces where the ears are floating and it kind of goes along with what you're saying like where you're, where depth perception and uh you know yeah i think uh, it
1: partly was just like i don't know how to draw an ear that looks slightly behind someone and make it look right so i'm just gonna pull the ear off and let it float in space and Uh, um i love that I, this is just my solution <laughs> it, for things. It, just it really, it
0: really is a great solution, though. No.
1: Just, it's just kinda, make it up. It's fine.
0: If I was an illustrator, that's exactly what I would say too. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to do this thing, so I'm just going to do this. But then it turns into this. I don't know. It. It. I think if the ear was connected, it, it wouldn't. I mean, it'd still be a great illustration, but it it wouldn't necessarily have as much. Uniqueness to it, I guess, is what.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny you pointed out too, because I think about the floating ear a lot, but I haven't done it so much lately. And I think part of that is because I haven't been drawing people as much, except for Uh, um, doodles. But unfortunately, I don't think that they would be particularly pleased with the floating ear. Um, And in my (laughs) personal work, I tend to gravitate more towards animals and objects. Um, But I I really should bring it back because i do miss it and
0: uh, I, I do too I, I had to pull a shot up from a long time ago uh, i miss it dearly um,
1: oh geez i'm letting uh, down all of my my fake humans <laughs> by making them too realistic see i've gotten yeah. stuck, man. Oh, man. <laughs> right
0: right well you know you could uh, i'm just looking at other well some of them have ears it's like uh animals well there's actually this pug this pug shot which which is awesome uh, sometimes i feel like a pug <laughs> this is wh- way more recent mm-hmm. um but the you know you sort of have this overprinting effect where the ears you know on a different screen or something and it's kind of floating but it's it's sort of attached um
1: yeah or even desperate. the mouse float away i i have like these kind of very tenuously oh, yeah. attached ears where they get come down to these fine points i, yes. I do that a lot um, they're still attached, but I'm just gonna push it next time. Let them float, yeah. man. Let them Give float. Give them some space. I, Let them be their own.
0: Uh, there, I, nothing would make me happier than to see a, a new Lydia Nichols shot with a floating ear on it.
1: Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump on that. That's gonna uh, be my personal goal for the next couple weeks. Yes, yes. This is,
0: <laughs> if nothing, this is a success. Yeah. So the the uh, the happy tiger one too from from last year. Uh, yeah, like super super pinpoint spot where the ears are connected yeah. i know we're getting into ears. you're probably like okay <laughs> and let's talk about some real stuff uh, but I, honestly i think i think there's an interesting style um component to your to your stuff so uh so yeah i wanted to make sure we covered the ears um
1: good i'm glad we did i feel better <laughs> i feel like What's you've like helped that? revive a lost piece of myself
0: good so, well I I, more i'm hoping. complete uh, <laughs> honestly I hope uh like like just scrolling through your stuff uh, quite honestly like from top to bottom it's it's just uh it's really inspiring. So let's talk about something new. And this one's uh you don't want to buy groceries from a robot. Um this is actually from last month. Uh and this is a op el- op illustration for the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Um again, uh, super awesome style like her hair is incredible tell us about this and and perhaps you know i guess one of the things that i was wondering when when looking at this is you know you have you have a very distinct style but yet you're being hired by all these different uh very different companies right Mm -hmm. um are they are they sort of coming to you and saying that's a style we like we want you to do this composition in that style or or is it is it you having to bend a little bit to that that specific company's uh, you know visual language
1: mm. that's a good question and I think probably in the past I would bend more uh, to try to suit a particular project but uh, more recently especially in the past year or two I've really tried to maintain my what I like to think of as my voice um, because uh, it's it's taken me a long time to cultivate and to determine when I say voice, I don't just mean aesthetic or style. I mean the tone and sort of the humor and the personality. And yeah, I yeah. think yep. if I compromise any one of those facets then it doesn't really feel like my work anymore so every time I take a project where I do it, and it's not about being like the way I do it is just the best it's not that at all it's just about like m- maintaining cohesion and feeling comfortable and that doesn't mean that there aren't ways I can't push myself to become better there's always a way but um, I try to do it within certain parameters and not somebody else's just like Oh, we we like your work, but make it really realistic. I'm like, well then you hired the wrong right. person. Sorry. Right. Uh but for the New York Times piece, <laughs> um, Jim Dats is the art director and he's just I mean, he's an amazing illustrator in his own right, and I'm a huge fan. Um mm. and I, I hope he doesn't listen to this because I'm just when he wrote, I was like, Oh my god, can <laughs> this be real? I have screen prints of his hanging over my couch. So Oh wow,
0: yeah. Sort of
1: a Super nerd out moment. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But he's a great art director and he's had absolutely no request to change the way I work or anything like that. He's really open. Mm. I sent probably, you know, five or six really, really nearly illegible thumbnails with rough ideas, which always uh, I'm kind of a believer in um, just getting out a really rough idea uh, and not investing too much in an in an initial sketch and i always worry when i send them off to people that they're going to be like oh boy why did we hire this person they don't know how to draw at all um but luckily (laughs) jim is a man of great faith and uh experience and um trusted me uh to actually take it to a legible finish Um, that's
0: that's interesting because uh as a non-illustrator, you know, I've done design work for clients before, but I, I kind of always wondered how an illustration project, typical illustration project goes in that, yeah, you can't put like all your time into this finished thing and then hand it over and then they're like, oh, it's not not what we wanted, right? Um, so I was curious how that, how that works. I mean, sometimes with web design, for instance, you, you might present three different Paths to take, right? Which I always hated because they'd always pick the one I hate. They, I hated the most, and obviously every time. Yeah. <laughs> and no, so that's I, like
1: the number one rule: don't show anything you don't want chosen. Yeah,
0: right. there's a lesson <laughs> a lesson learned. I mean, it's like every literally every time. uh So does that does that happen with illustration too? And I guess you kind of answered that already. In that you send uh, maybe a fi sketch of a direction and then and then from there you can put the real time into it
1: yeah i i just um personally i try to be really efficient and i don't i don't like wasting time that sounds so not that anyone does but and it's not that i don't love drawing i love drawing but i don't want to put all this heart and energy into something that somebody doesn't want to use and then i may not even Mm -hmm. be able to potentially use on my own that to me is just really sad it's like Planting a seed and letting it start to shoot up, and then being like, "Never mind," and stomping on it, um, which seems totally,
0: totally agree. Yeah, that's, that's it's awful. Yeah.
1: It's just too emotional, Dan. I can't take it. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, so it is. It is though. It is. <laughs> uh, I just find it easier to get quick concepts out and. It's a little different. The op-ed pieces move really fast. They're only like five or six hours to do them. Um, wow,
0: five or six hours! Wow. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's like, hi, um, can you get this to me by the end of the day? It's already noon. Um,
0: wow, um, interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, for for a new for a daily newspaper, I guess that is that's how it works, right?
1: Yeah. Wow. So in that case, you you just literally don't have the time to invest too much. In right. a sketch. Um, and, I mean, looking at the piece, I'm happy with how it turned out. If I had more time, there are things I would change. But, mm-hmm. you know, again, when you're on a five or six-hour deadline and you have to get various approvals and it has to run through different people. Um, I mean, the time is eaten up just in that process. So it's not even that you're sure. just drawing for that amount of time. Right.
0: But um, so you're saying the, the, this one that we're looking at here, the, um, this shot – that was all done like within five hours, <laughs> basically getting the call and then like doing it the same day, and
1: you're yep. done. And wow. then I also, so I did a color wow. version for web and then a black and white version for print, which there's a little more wiggle room. I think I get an extra like forty five minutes or hour to do the color because <laughs> um, the print one has to go into production first. Uh, wow. But yeah, it's that's pretty, it's pretty fast. Um, that's and, insane. I mean, some people have much simpler and more iconic ways of working and and are really well-suited. I'm not even sure that I'm the best uh, editorial, you know, conceptual thinker. I love doing it because it puts me into a a thought realm I'm not usually in. Um, And it's a great exercise and it's a great challenge, but it definitely is something that is not my strongest suit. and so, for someone like Jim to have that faith in me, and then you know that sort of abbreviated timeline and everything—it's it, scary and exciting. And so, when it comes out even decent, I'm like, "All right, I survived." Yeah, no,
0: you—you—you you, you more than survived. This is awesome. I wonder if Jim would be a fan of uh, the floating year. I'm
1: curious. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry.
0: <laughs> I I love it. This is awesome. Uh, so. You know, I, I way back when, and I'm going back again now, but you had some shots around a, a book that you might publish or get published, mm. um, the Summer Zoo Olympics, mm. which the shot is, is is awesome. Uh, going back to sort of anthro animals, yeah, I'm using anthro again. Uh, <laughs> t- tell us what happened there because I would have loved to see this book out there. Um, mm. yeah.
1: Uh, the Summer's Olympics, uh, a dream lost. Uh, oh. the Summer's Olympics was a grad school project, which oh uh, yeah. So I wrote and illustrated, and actually produced a hand bound copy in I don't know like three months, along with wow. several other projects. So that was only one of about four projects. Oh um,
0: my gosh! So there is a a physical version of this somewhere.
1: There is. I have yeah. it. Um, cool. It's actually kind of neat because it's a super wide format uh so it's at least two or three times as wide as it is tall um Mm. but i guess the greater do you want to know the big big backstory (laughs) absolutely um I went to Tyler School of Art for Grad School, which is really a design program. And so I faked being a designer to get in and then pretty much was an illustrator the whole time. (laughs) And uh, luckily, they're super cool and and totally fine with it. Um, But one of my thesis classes, they basically would give us a theme. And then we could take it in whatever direction possible that we wanted to. Uh, So the theme for this was competition. And I was like, all right, I'm going to write a kid's book. It's going to be about the... Zoo Olympics, and I'm going to make it in this crazy wide format um, to help with the sense of storytelling and motion. And if you think about the Summer Olympics, the the games themselves are always these sort of long or wide, or you know, you're always moving from point A to point Z, way over there. <laughs> so I did the book. It's in a rhyming format. I did shop it around a little bit and had some slight interest write out after school, um, but not a ton. And the biggest feedback I got was that publishers aren't really into rhyming. Um, so if you're out there considering <laughs> writing a children's book, I super advise you to avoid rhymes. And this is a thing I went to the um, society of children's book writers and illustrators conference in New York this winter. And I, this is just the mantra of publishers. Don't rhyme, don't rhyme, don't rhyme. There's few exceptions. That's Um,
0: fascinating because rhyming is, is cool. I mean, kids love rhyming and
1: publishers don't, I think there's this weird, (laughs) like Dr. Seuss did it and did it well. And to be honest, we've all heard, I mean, everybody who wants to write a book usually starts in rhyming and some people are good at it. And then a lot of people, It's not just that the rhymes aren't particularly compelling. It's also that the the pacing is wrong. So you're like, I have a line that has 20 syllables, and the next one has three, but they Mm. rhyme. And you're like, yeah, (laughs) there's more to rhyming than just that. You know, if you listen to a song, there's, you know... uh,
0: Yeah, it's deeper than just just the... Yeah, definitely.
1: So I think that's partly why they make the sort of blanket statement, is that it's to do a good rhyme is... Harder than to just rhyme. Mm. (laughs) Like Mm. anyone can pick up a drumstick and bang on a drum. It doesn't make them a drummer. Um, So I I get why that that's sort of the industry standard. Um, And recently somebody showed interest in zoo Olympics, but you know, it's been four years and I'm, at this point, I, I actually sat down and tried to rewrite it and I threw my hands up in the air because the first time I wrote it, it came so naturally. I think I wrote it in like a day. And I obviously wow. tweaked it, but it just flowed. And that was part of the joy of making it. Um, and to sit down and try to rewrite it four years later, <laughs> it was like, uh, this is not a story that wants to be rewritten. Um no. And then, you know, looking back on the art, the art also looks really dated to me as well. And I don't work that uh way. So, it's just, it's a thing Mm. that I'm happy I did um, and I was proud of at the time. And still, I mean, it was a great thing to do. I'm not not proud of it. But um, I'm happy to let it sort of exist in another time in space and Mm. move forward with new ideas at this point.
0: Right, right, right. Publishing is hard, I guess. uh, (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a big, it's at once a big market and a small market. You know, a lot of people want to make books, but then consumers, it's a little different with kids' books where, you know, people still pick up. I don't think kids' books are going to go digital in quite the same way that literature and nonfiction will uh, because it's so much about the tangibility and kids want to touch and hold a thing that is not just, totally, yeah. so that's good, but totally. uh, it's—I mean—you could you only put out so many kids' books every season, so it's pretty competitive the market. Yeah. Um, and usually, so I should backtrack and say that I did an internship at Pixar, and then I did a, a design fellowship at Chronicle Books in San Francisco. So oh, wow. um, I also got a little bit of insight on the other side of the publishing industry, which has been invaluable and really interesting. Um, yeah, oh, I bet. I mean, that, yeah, they only put out so many per season, and it usually helps to have an agent. Uh, they don't...
0: Okay, right, right.
1: Publishers don't really like unsolicited manuscripts. Hmm. Um, they, don't like dealing,
0: <laughs> they don't like dealing with the author, maybe?
1: <laughs> no, they have these... I can't remember what they call them, but they're like these slosh piles where they put all the unsolicited manuscripts, and maybe once in a while someone will just pick one up and peruse it, but usually they just get ignored. Oh wow! Um, so I'm contemplating seeking out an agent. I'd really love to move into kids books, but right now I'm, I'm doing a lot of doodling. So it's something I'm, I'm working on in my free time, but
0: yeah, well, I, I hope you do. Cause I, I think I'd love to see some published books out there. Um, but you mentioned doodling, which is great segue. Thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're welcome.
0: That was just for you. <laughs> that was it was right. It was totally totally. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, because you're doing a lot of Google Doodles for mm-hmm. Google, which is awesome. Because I mean, talk about pressure, though. There's like millions of or billions. I don't even know how many people were looking at this. The, at, whole,
1: world. No, the whole world. No, it depends on the doodle. Pretty,
0: pretty much, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how? How? Okay. How did you get this gig? And tell us about what it's like or the, yeah, I'm just curious. Like it seems like a, a a difficult task, but maybe, maybe, maybe you'll tell us otherwise.
1: How did I get it? Um, mm, luck. I don't know. I wish I had a better (laughs) answer for you.
0: No, that's fine. Um,
1: I, somebody reached out and I interviewed, so I'm actually a, 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 what's essentially a staff artist. I do work, On site at Google doing Doodles. Oh yeah, cool. Um, And it's a big, complex process with a lot of moving parts. I think there are about a dozen full-time artists right now. Wow. Just for
0: just for the Doodles, or
1: yeah, just for the Doodles. We do hundreds every year. Wow. Um, So it's, I mean, it necessitates a big team, Uh, and then there are engineers that actually make the magic of them working.
0: Right. Right. Um, Right.
1: So they're pretty important to the whole process. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So, uh, you know, we plan a year out. We're actually getting ready to plan for 2018 right now. Mm. And everybody can kind of pitch. And then we have other Googlers around the globe that we talk to and say, Hey, what what would your country like to see? Who's important to your culture? Uh, So it's a pretty collaborative global process. And then essentially they get divvied up to the artist and the people doing the divvying are usually pretty in tune with everyone's strengths and try to you know, give assignments based on that. And then it's just a matter of executing them. Some run globally and some run in more localized markets. So it kind of is different for every single doodle. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do a weekly art review, not unlike you would do in, um, you know, art school or something like that, where everyone sits down and shares their progress and gets feedback and makes tweaks and, um, uh, yeah.
0: Wow, cool. Is that, is that a, uh, is that a safe space? I mean, for, <laughs> I would probably, I would guess yes, but, um, uh, like in terms of good, getting good feedback and.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Everyone on the team is, I mean, they're all super talented artists that are articulate and have good eyes and so it typically just makes a piece better to get that feedback or uh you know as with any project if you get too close to it you might be missing something that's glaringly obvious and somebody <laughs> yes, can just gently yes. go hi do you see that <laughs> i would avoid that um
0: that's, that is totally the voice
1: <laughs> so oh. it's a nice <laughs> yeah like
0: everyone's very
1: diplomatic and uh, yeah. polite uh but but you know <laughs> as with any good criticism honest um yeah. that usually makes the pieces all the better so that's a good process to have in place
0: Totally well, wow, I'm just looking through these these doodles and they're they're awesome uh, yeah i I guess this stupid me I didn't really think about like on a global scale you there's doodles for all countries and all different things and uh, these are amazing well thanks for I mean, this is a good point to break on. I guess thanks for uh thanks for being on here with us, Lydia. this is awesome.
1: Oh, thanks, Dan. It was super fun, and I really appreciate you inviting me to join you.
0: Yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm glad we did because we we got into some good stuff there, and uh, we'll be watching what you do next.
1: So can't wait. <laughs> yeah, and I will continue enjoying the set dimension world that is Dribble.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, okay. Bonus question then. Uh, that that's a that's a positive thing for you or. In terms of the constraint,
1: the four hundred by three hundred, I think it's yeah. interesting. I mean, I, I think you know when you, everybody's website these days is different. I'm, I have had the same format for my website for probably the past decade, which is a thumbnail that you click on to see the full image.
0: Right, and right.
1: That in many ways is what Dribble is. You know, kind yeah. of finding mm-hmm. that perfect cropping that is engaging enough for someone to. Click on it, and I think in most design and illustration, there's always an ideal presentation, and then there's always, well, this is how somebody saw it through the corner of their eye, or this is how somebody snapped a photo of it, or this is what happens when someone, you know, puts a stack of cereal boxes in front of your poster and you can only see a (laughs) fraction of it, you know, wherever it may be. Um, So, in that way, I think it can be challenging and frustrating at times to find the perfect sort of cropping at 400 by 300 pixels, but I great. think it's a good exercise.
0: Well, that's all. I mean, you get it. That's great. Like it, when you say you're trying to sort of, what's interesting about this? What's the most interesting part I can show? And then it's really just a, a springboard just to, to look, look deeper at it, which is yeah. hopefully what people do if they're, you know, if they're interested. So, um, and which I'm sure they do on your stuff because there's a lot behind it. So no, thanks. So thanks again. Thank and, you. Uh, keep, keep up the awesome work.
1: Thanks. All right. I'm going to get on some floating ears for you, Dan. Oh
0: man. I honestly, that would, uh, that would make my, make my year. If, <laughs> if I saw like a new, <laughs> something dedicated
1: to you. So you'll know when it's up. Oh,
0: wow. Okay. Well, it, I do I do have an ear that's removable, so maybe that's why I'm in the no, just kidding. Um,
1: <laughs> your kids no, must but, enjoy that. Do they hide yeah, it? Oh they do, <laughs> yeah. It's like
0: it's like the thumb trick when you kinda of make your thumb Yeah. Looks like your thumb's off. You could do that with the ear. Um <laughs> anyway, Thanks for humoring me there.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> All right.
0: Well, cool. Yay, see you later.
1: Bye.